bosom of America is open to receive not only the opulent and respectable stranger, but the oppressed and persecuted of all nations and religions, whom we shall welcome to a participation of all our rights and privileges, if by decency and propriety of conduct they appear to merit the enjoyment. The words of General George Washington, and this is the Guardians of the Republic podcast. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we'll hear what is on the minds of voters in New Hampshire, the site of the first presidential primary. We'll also take a look at the latest polling numbers, rate some of the 2020 candidates in our hot take segment, and see if anyone is deserving of the Guardian of the Week honors. But uh, first, Ian, that quote that you read at the top of the show from Washington, uh, what's that all about? Where's it from? Well, why don't you tell us the story of Joshua Holmes? Well, Joshua Holmes organized a bunch of Irish immigrants, and I think that letter Washington wrote to him uh, shortly after he got to New York at at the end of the war when he resigned his commission. But the idea was Washington could not have won the war if it had not been for these lowly Irish immigrants. Uh, that had come aboard. And what he realized is that, you know, this is a this is a land that is open to everybody. I mean, not just the opulent, but the oppressed and persecuted. Yeah. And, and as we look at what's happening right now with President Trump and his recent attack on on the squad um, on Twitter, uh, that's part of the reason why we're looking directly back at it, uh, because he's sort of calling for reverse immigration, t- sending people back to where they came from and losing the idea that we are uh, a melting pot in America of all of these different groups, nations and people. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that, 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 can, that call to send them back is tied up in race. All right. Uh, I mean, there, there's that, that these are the type of people who don't belong here. And that's exactly what Washington was talking about, is that it's the oppressed and persecuted. And, you know, the, the Irish army, the, excuse me, the Irish who were in the army, the Continental Army, uh, were the biggest proportion of that army. In fact, the first holiday that uh, George Washington proclaimed in the army was not Christmas or the 4th of July. It was St. Patrick's Day. Uh, in order to give his soldiers some time off. So there was a recognition from the very beginning yeah. uh, by people like Washington that, uh, that, that you know, this is, this is on whose back this country will be built. Uh, and, and there's a quote from Ben Franklin that I really like because there's a vote going on in the House as, as we're recording this podcast uh, about whether they're going to um, condemn Trump's remarks. And the quote from Ben Franklin is, uh, when foreigners, after looking about for some other country in which they can obtain more happiness, give a preference to ours, it is a proof of attachment which ought to excite our confidence and affection. Like, we should, we should be happy that, that immigrants want to come here. That's what we've been saying all along. Ben Franklin said that at the very beginning of, of this republic. Yeah. So and last yesterday, when President Trump was was doing his press conference and someone asked him about the fact that white nationalists are heartened by his recent comments, does that concern you? And he said, no, it doesn't concern me because I know that a lot of people feel the way I do. Does it concern you that many people saw that tweet as racist and that uh, white nationalist groups are finding common cause with you on that point? It doesn't concern me because many people agree with me. 
And all I'm saying, they want to leave, they can leave now. Okay, so it doesn't concern me because many people agree with me. Um, that, that is essentially where we were in Germany in 1936, uh, when my family, my father and his family, uh, were living in Poland. And their entire family outside of my grandmother, who and my uncle Harry, uh, got away. But the rest of the 14 children, parents, cousins, all were killed. And it was because this xenophobic, racist person who was running Europe at the time uh, said, no, it's fine because I've got people who agree with me that these people should die. Now, President Trump is certainly not saying that these people should die, but he certainly has no problem bringing this level of racism into our regular discourse and saying it's fine because 45% of the country agrees with me. And what I find fascinating is when do the Republicans look at that and say, actually, we can't live in a country that is going to be tilted in such a in such a significant way. I yeah, I think this underlying truth that he spoke, which is that people do agree with him. Yes, it was. You know, there, there's that tail end of that that Washington quote that you read at the top, the top of the show, which is, well, as long as uh, by decency and propriety of conduct they merit being here. Um, and he simply meant that as, you know, they, they avoid criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that they have to say that they love America every single uh, day. The fact that he's, he, he does that and acknowledges that, I think, is, is, is core to where his reelection strategy is. Yes, What he's absolutely. been playing all along, mm-hmm. which is, I'm going to play to my base because if it comes down to a debate over immigration, which is exactly what I want. And I have to get back those kind of working class Democrats in the Midwest who voted for me again. If I can make it about immigration, are they going to vote for the white guy that looks like them or for the party that uh, we want to cast as looking like these four women on the Democratic side? And which he's if if the Republicans do not speak out against President Trump, he's going to have been very successful. So I have a little personal story. I have a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, who's a really evangelical Christian, a Republican far right wing, who is a strong believer in uh, in Mm -hmm. pro-life, who I've known for 30 years. And he's a dear man and a dear friend. And last night on Facebook, uh, he really started ripping President Trump in a completely he had never shown any signs of this of any kind. But he said, that this is two steps too far um, in reference to the tweets against the uh, against uh, the group of congresswomen. Uh, and then we also spoke some about um, Vice President Pence. And he, uh, he was really speaking to me about how it was really Pence that gave him the confidence to stand by President Trump in 2016. Well, that and was we, the whole thing with evangelicals, right? Um, their support for President Trump was based on some core, core social values that they have, such as around abortion. And that Mike Pence being on the ticket gave that credibility for those voters who are looking for something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we were seeing a lot of evangelicals who are looking past uh, all of the personal peccadilloes of Donald Trump. They're looking Easily, past some he, of these he, other things that we're talking, what he said, talking about. What he said to me specifically was that he would always look to Mike Pence for faith. And he said if Mike Pence is standing next to him because he knows him as a man of great faith, right? And he, it's like a brother. It's like a comrade, a man of faith with another man of faith. And if this man of faith, who he knows takes his faith so deeply seriously, can stand next to Donald Trump through this entire process, then, then, then 
he felt comfortable standing there as well. But so then when I pointed out and I said, well, how do you imagine that Mike Pence is, is standing there? And he started quoting scripture to me about how he felt he was sort of like Daniel to the lions and that he was thrown to the lions, but he wasn't getting bit and he was sort of surviving. But that this past weekend was actually the, the, the crack in the dam for him to get to the point where he said, it's absolutely unacceptable. And as a Christian, I cannot stand by um, and he wrote an open letter to Mike Pence, which I'm going to just read a short portion of. Um, so he says this, an open letter to Mike Pence from one Christian to another. You, like the rest of Christian America, have been looking closely to see if the tree bears good fruit, only to see it does not. Our president's threats against others have grown louder, bolder, more specific, and increasingly non-congruent with the Bible. As a consequence, the spiritual season has changed, and with it, the cloud of witnesses. Haman is now undeniably in our midst. Loud and boisterous, he plots to attack the marginalized of our society. I believe it is time for you to go before the king, not King Trump, but before the kingdom of this world, to news outlets, to the microphone, and once there to declare that although many conservative causes have been popularized and many victories won in the courts, we can no longer, as Christians, side with the devil in our efforts to call down angels. I tell you, Patrick, man... Mm -hmm. This was a this was a man of faith on the phone with me having a deep revelation about where we stand as a nation and for the first time I saw that if evangelicals did take that step back and look at where we are as a nation that could change the calculus in 2020. Well then here's my question for you and me because what we Obviously, we agree with it, and many right-minded people, in fact, all right-minded people agree with our overall position. But one of the things that we look at on this podcast is what's the best way to deal with that? How do you go at it, right? Well, how, do you, how do you undermine? Now, that, that press conference that the, that the quote-unquote, the squad had, the four, four congresswomen, uh, in that press conference, they said, we will not respond directly to Trump, Right. Uh, although in some ways they did. But our job is to respond to his policies, right? So that was one way. Uh, your friend's way seems to be, let's go after the vice president. Well, right? let's just look and see as a Christian nation in this man's mind and as a, a nation of believers, is this what Jesus Christ would hope for on in this country, in this land, on this world? Is this the lessons of Christ? And one might argue that it's not. And the, the conversation that is, that is beginning to swirl may be a direction where people might change their ways. Yes. I, I, what, what I was struck by is the, the line from your friend's letter that we can no longer as Christians side with the devil in our efforts to call down angels. <laughs> right? Because that, that's, you know, they got behind Trump with Pence because for many of them, their number one issue was uh, being pro-life. Yes, you know, pro-life. Outlawing abortion. Certainly for my and, friend. And, and uh, I mean, there's no question that there is a real moral purpose to that position. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, he, right. has, he definitely has a point of view, and it's also a personal point of view. I'll tell you a quick story about him. But uh, the point that I was making there Sorry, was, was that, that you, you can't do that deal with the devil. In order to, to, to achieve that end, you have to, you have to, if you are going to call yourself a true Christian, which is what your friend is, is saying, is that you have to do it the right way. You, you cannot sell out your soul in order to, 
to get something else because guess what? You've just undermined your entire mission. And, you know, he was going on Facebook and just, you know, many of his friends are, are from the evangelical right. And so he's posting about Trump and they're coming at him hard. And I, I called him. I said, listen, you have to be mindful. What you're doing is you're attacking, when you attack Trump, you're attacking their faith. It's, it's actually part of their belief system at this point. Right. And you I can't mean, for, just for go— of, I remember I'm a big fan of the Beatles, right? So when, when John Lennon said, we're, we're bigger than Jesus, um, and, and yeah, got low back for that. No. Tr- Trump has not said those words, but he's, that's how he's acting. And one could argue. So, and that's what I said to him on the phone. I said, listen, you have to be mindful. You can't go at Trump because it, 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 every, you know, it's, it's everyone, everyone feels cornered and they're ready to fight for him. You have to change your tactic. You have to be incredibly strategic. And to look at it from this perspective of is this the Christian morals of our nation? Is this the nation that we want to have? It, it, there may be something there um, that, could, that could make that damn crack. All right. That so that, that's, crack. One, that's one tactic, right? Uh, you know, g- going after uh, Pence, going after the uh, the evangelical Christians who have supported Trump and and look the other way and and saying look the other way at you, all. You can't look personal. the other way anymore. No, well, you can look the other way at his personal. You can look at the other way at his um, sexual assault allegations. You can look the other way at his infidelities. You can look at the other way at all of his his business practices. But can you continue to look the other way um, when when it's not just about him? And it's really right. just about, it's about the fabric of the nation being ripped apart. Right. But what's the other, what's the other, what's the other way to go? Right. Well, here, here, here's, did you hear Joe Biden's response? Let's hear it. What do you say to Americans who might, who might agree with what the president tweeted yesterday? I stand ashamed of it. So you'd say that to voters? I'd say that anybody who's that racist, a racist, I'm ashamed of a racist. Right, I, I am ashamed of you. I'd say that to anybody who supports Donald Trump in in, in what he's saying. In what he's saying, I, that's strong. That that's that's pretty strong. Um, that's really strong. Is it effective? Uh, you know, it's it's effective to for the Democrats to hear that, um, to to be able to speak with moral authority. It's something that the Democrats, the Pe- Mayor Pete Buttigieg it talks a lot about this. Uh, and it was one of, to me, one of his best moments in the debate was when he was talking about the moral authority of the Republican Party and how they've always taken the, the, that, that side of things, that they have the moral authority, that they are one with Christ. Um, and what could happen is if it could be pitched in the right way, the Democrats could find their way to the moral authority in 2020. And Joe Biden just staked his claim to it right there. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, Trump is right. There are people who will agree with him simply sure. because of identity. Uh, I think, you know, the way to, to win this is to make sure that when those type of voters, not the ones who are fully with him, but the ones who can be swayed Mm-hmm. If the debate is about this, is about this immigration, is about race, or you know, is the dog whistles of race, is that they're going to stick with them? So you have to do everything that you can to make it not about race. I mean, this I'm just talking about the presidential election coming up because that's what Wait, I'm you're saying about, that right? the Democrats need to not make it about race, right? I'm, I, but see, I would argue that the the 35 percent that are with President Trump, no matter what, you're not going to get them, right? And right. I would argue that the difference between a dog whistle and a regular whistle might be the difference. 
because you know what? he's not using right. a dog whistle. He's using a freaking whistle, saying yeah. get these people of he's, color he's out there with a bullhorn. Yes, he is saying get these people of color yeah. out of this country. You don't like us? Leave. We don't want you here, right? right. So if if you can take that for the suburban moms in America and say, wait a minute, is this really the country? Yeah. I know I'm getting the tax cut, but is this really the if they're in the top, you know, top five percent of the nation? But is this really the country that I want my children to grow up in? That could be not something to be ignored and not something to to be quieted down. Is there a way that immigration and the the way that we deal with immigrants and people can be part of the the values of the nation? And Joe Biden, with his answer, I'd be ashamed of them. I think that's a I think that's a strong answer. Okay, so after that really uh, passionate conversation about <laughs> guarding the republic in every way, um, and before we turn to New Hampshire, where you just went for the past weekend and got some amazing stuff, is there any polling that we should know about this week? Uh, yeah, I, w- I want to point out some polling on economic anxiety, um, and I think this is that that kind of that two prong thing uh, that uh, we were just talking about, which is you have to deal with the, with the issues of conduct with Donald Trump. But if you're going to win the election, there also has to be an economic component yes, to that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, I brought up Joe Biden. I'll bring him up again uh, later uh, in the show. But uh, the Gallup poll just did something on economic anxiety where they asked a bunch of questions uh, on uh, you know what, what, what really bothers you, what keeps you up at night. And then they kind of put it together and they found that about half of the American public have an immediate worry that they can't make their monthly rent payment or mortgage payment, or they can't meet their minimum credit card payment uh, this month. Uh, so that's about half. Then you have 14% who have uh, worries about healthcare costs hitting them at some point down the line. You have about 10% who have worries about longer-term issues, such as retirement or paying for the kids' college costs, and about a quarter, 27%, who have no real worries. But what I thought was interesting about this is that uh, true independence these are people who don't lean towards Democrats or Republicans, although they are joined by a lot of Democrats, are in that first group, that first big group that they, they worry month to month. So these are people who are not attached to either party. These are the people that the Democrats have to win over. They're going to beat Donald Trump. And they're having these, month, these day-to-day worries. That's what they're more concerned about than anything else. The Republicans, on the other hand, are more likely to be in the no real worries category or, or have no immediate concerns. So what Donald Trump is banking on is that the economy is going so well, right, that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that he's going to have these, uh, these voters behind him. But the voters he has behind him because of the economy are already Republicans, but the real independents are the ones who are worrying about month to month. And I think do you think that bit- there's a do you think that there's a path here for Democrats? Uh, there's some there's a quote that we're going to hear later from uh, a Trump supporter who's considering Biden, um, who's who was talking about the tax cuts and actually not being of service to him. D- did you find that in New Hampshire? And did you find that? Are you finding that 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 people are starting to see that that tax cut, the big tax cut that was so helpful? It really wasn't helpful for the average American? Yeah. Well, I was speaking mainly with Democratic voters when I was in New Hampshire. Um, so they are in that immediate worry group uh, for most of them. So that they didn't like the tax cuts at all. But it's it's that it's that there's true independents who don't like the tax cuts. And that's what we're finding. In Mammoth's polling, one of the questions that we ask is not just how the economy is going, but did you get your fair share? So many people say, yeah, my taxes did not go up or, or even they went down. Uh, because of the Trump tax cut, but I didn't get my fair share. And I think that's the key. 
Okay, so let's talk about New Hampshire. Um, you just spent three days up there following campaigns and talking to voters. That was fun for me because I was getting all these texts about, you know, this guy and this this person and everything. So it was it was almost like I was there. What was that like for you? Well, I love New Hampshire um, in, in terms of the political environment there. And there are a lot of people who uh, really resent the fact that New Hampshire has this uh, oversized impact on the presidential primary process. Mm -hmm. It's a small state. It's 95% white. The voters there are not representative of uh, voters nationwide, even Democrats, particularly Democrats nationwide, when we're talking about a Democratic primary this year. But one of the things that I like about the New Hampshire voters is that they ask questions of candidates and they, they get these candidates in these small forms so they can ask them a lot of questions. And they ask questions that the press do not ask about. <laughs> right. The, the press are all about the process. So how are you going to get it? You, you're not raising as much money as so and so. How are you going to get ahead? Or there, there aren't that many people here at your crowd. How are you going to get ahead? And the people who show up there are saying, how are you going to help me pay my bills or how are you going to keep my uh, uh, my kids safe in school? These are the things that they're, they're, they're concerned about. And they really press uh, the candidates on that. You know, they ask the candidates, why you? There's 20 some people running. Why is it you that I should support? Uh, and they really push them. So I, I really like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did talk to a lot of voters. Um, there was a lot of talk about the country being divided, uh, the need to bring us together. Uh, but uh, I think there's a, a naivety out there about how to beat Donald Trump right now. I think it's still early and they don't know that. But there are a bunch of different voters. And so I, w- I want to like, play some of them. And, and the first one was really fascinating which was I went to a Biden rally, and Biden rally, about 250 people there, uh, mostly older folks, but there were about uh, 20, 25 uh, kids under the kids under the age of 30. Who yeah, that's there. kids. That's right? kids. So saying, okay, I was, you know, so I was, I'm, I'm close <laughs> enough to remember 30. That was like 20, 18 years ago. Um, and before you're 30, you're a kid. Go ahead. Yeah. And so uh, I was, you know, I and, and the entire press corps were interested. Why are you here? Because Biden is not getting young support. And so I, I would talk to one of those uh, young voters. I'm more likely to turn out for a candidate who has a really strong climate plan, a really strong immigration plan, um, a plan for Medicare for all, and um, an end to student debt. Um, and those are those are the issues that I know other people who are my age in New Hampshire care about. They want it all. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they basically went free. Um, and what was interesting, she was not a Biden. She said she was undecided, but she was decided in one way. She wasn't going to support Biden. Well, guess what? At the end of that um, rally there, uh, or, or or the event, those 25 young kids stood up and held uh, protest signs about uh, immigration and deportation. They they were protesting. So the, they were Obama there. Era. They were there just to protest Joe Biden. They were not there to support him at all. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> all right. That's, that's so tough. So this is something that Biden is definitely going to have to deal with um, as as he goes uh, goes forward uh, there. Uh, but uh, there was another guy I talked to, speaking you know, you know, at, at the extremes, um, who was standing at an immigration rally uh, with a sign that said, lock her up. And everybody thought he was a Trump voter, right? Trump supporter. Turns out the guy was a Sanders supporter. Uh, and he was saying, you know, lock her up because he thinks Democrats should be the ones to, to hold Hillary Clinton account for the, uh, her crimes, this was a fascinating guy. But one thing I thought was interesting was when he was talking about 
his opposition to the center, and uh, he was talking about progressives and libertarians. Why are progressives like libertarians? I like them both. I like libertarians and I like progressives. They both empower people. In other words, the, the progressives give them security, the libertarians give them freedom. So that's, you know, but the two, two in the center work together to hurt us all. The, 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 the people they call dinos, Democrats in name only, and rhinos, Republicans in name only. They, they, they don't do, it's a legitimate thing. You know, the Republicans, we support industry, you know, and... Um, so what do you think? I, I think I remember when you sent me that clip and I listened to it, my ears popped on that because there really is such a thin line between Bernie supporters and Trump supporters. And we saw it right there. I mean, he's a Bernie supporter who's using Trump's slogan of lock her up and talking about how people in the middle are, are not not out for the country. They're only out for the corporations and, you know, taking care of, uh, you know, it was it was it was eye opening for sure. Yeah, it's, we have to remember that there are folks out there, there are voters who are, are much more concerned with ideology than they are with what really our country is all about, which is a process by which we can all work together. And it goes back to what you've said a number of times about, you know, that most of the country agrees that they that we should have an authoritarian dictatorship. It's just a difference of opinion on who should run it. Right. And that 30 percent of the Democrats think that it should be a far left wing radical and 30 percent should thinks that it should be Donald Trump. And it's the people who are in the center who actually keep the boat floating, because if we go down that path, whether with a far left um, president or a far right president, the boat's going to tip and that'll be the end of the republic. But it's right. the people who are in the center and this guy is, he's tipping it from both sides. He's yeah. just, he, he just wants to see if he is, it's like a seesaw and he's right. just trying to, 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 you know, knock the whole thing over. Right. Yeah. It's a seesaw where he wants to knock out the fulcrum that holds it up in the middle. You know, one of the concerns is that the Democratic Party is uh, going too far to the left. And I talked to somebody who likes... Uh, Elizabeth Warren, and I, I think it kind of gives you a sense of the direction of that wing of the party. Well, her fiscal stand has always been, I believe, what this country needs most is get the you know power back in the hands of the people rather than away from the money. Um, you know, and that's basically it, the whole thing. So why her versus uh, Sanders? Uh, well, oh, Bernie? Yeah. Bernie, well, that yeah, was Bernie. my support last election. But, yeah. um, Unfortunately, I hate to say it because but age is an issue. Uh, well, no. The, the other thing and the thing about Mayor Pete is it's time to pass. It's time to pass the, the uh, torch, if you will, if you want to coin a phrase, um, to, to younger people. It's their world. I, I saw him at a Buddha Judge event. So that's what he was there. So he was supporting, he was leaning Got towards it. Warren. He had been a Sanders supporter. And I met a lot of San, former Sanders supporters sure. at these events. Um, they are looking for somebody new and different. Now, a lot of them know Elizabeth Warren as well because she's the neighboring uh, senator uh, mm -hmm. from Massachusetts. Uh, but it looked like Warren and Buttigieg were the ones that were fighting it out for that segment of the. Which is interesting because Sanders Buttigieg supporters. is not Buttigieg is not going to be the have the same policies. As senators, right. I mean, not right. remotely. So, you know, he's one of my favorite parts about Buttigieg is his Medicare for all who choose, which is not the same plan that Warren and Sanders are selling. So, right. so that's interesting and sort of gives some clue as to why Hillary, it really was a choice between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Back in it the also, day. it also gives you a clue to how little folks know about this. There are, there are a lot of voters that I talk to who 
really weren't paying any attention at all. In fact, uh, uh, Mayor Buttigieg made a, a little business tour in Rochester, New Hampshire, where he, he stepped into a, a, a record shop and then into a bar, which actually I stayed at the bar and had a beer because there was a picture of John Adams right over top of where I was standing. So I figured I had to have a drink with John Adams hey. while, I, while I was there. Better but the point Jefferson. is, talking to a lot of those voters, mm-hmm. I said, who was that? Who are you? Oh, there's a, there's, there was a great uh, there was a great one where uh, with Cory Booker who was knocking on doors in a typical suburban neighborhood, and one neighbor comes out and says, "What's going on here?" And he starts talking to her and says, "Are you were, were you born here?" She says, "No, I was born in New Jersey." And she said, "Really?" He said, "Really?" He's, you know, and where? And he said, "And she said, and who are you?" <laughs> right. So that gives you a sense of how early we are in the process. And I think one of the other things that, that's important here is as important as electability is in all this mm-hmm. is that voters really don't know what that means or how to do it. And there's a Trump, there was a Trump voter you spoke to who I remember uh, very keenly and I thought was really Yeah, so l- let's end with, with the Trump voter. So I was talking to all these, uh, clearly they were Democrats, uh, but at the Biden event, there, it was by a marina. And a guy wanders over with his with this beautiful dog and his sailor's hat, and I, and it was, turns out that he he had supported Donald Trump and continues to support Donald Trump, and he had just wandered over because his dog was interested in what all the hubbub was, and so, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, what he likes about Trump, what he doesn't like about Trump. You know, I like the fact that he seems like he's got a backbone, and he's not a yes president, but. Some of the tax cuts didn't seem to be as great as for the average working man, you know. Some of the rich might have got better tax cuts. I don't know. So what would you have to hear from somebody like Joe Biden in order to get for him to get your vote? I don't know. Maybe that he was going to be for the working man more and he's not going to badmouth nobody. He's just going to... He's going to step up to the bat and hit some home runs. And to me, if anybody's going to step in the presidency after Trump, they better have pants on. That's what caught my ear. They better have pants on. Now, I wasn't sure if that was saying that it better not be a woman or if it was somebody who was saying somebody who's ready to get to work. Uh, I, I think, I, yeah, I, I think he was also saying that Trump has kind of created, has thrown down the gauntlet and created a new norm. And you're, yeah. you're going to have to live up to that, which is in some ways problematic, right? <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, He's rung the bell. Yeah, but I, was I, I, was I talked of... to him afterwards. Uh, this was, mm-hmm. that, that interview was before the Biden had spoken. And I talked to him afterwards, and he said, I wish I had an income because I really liked what Biden had to say. Now, if you hear Biden's stump speech, he starts off by going after Trump, and then he, then he goes into his middle-class shtick about how growing up in Scranton and whatever. But he did it in a way that really resonated with this guy. And this is the kind of voter that, that you want to try to win over. And I asked him, well, what about all the stuff he said about Trump that was bad? He said, well, I, I take the good with the bad with Trump. You know, I, I know what the pros and cons are. And that's what's true when you, when you hear a lot of Trump voters that say, I wish he wouldn't tweet. I try not to pay attention to it because I don't like that. And this is what you were saying before when we were talking about uh, race, right, is that you've got to get enough Republicans to make that uncomfortable, make mm-hmm. it just something that you can't just overlook. And then you hit them with the economic message of, are you really better off than you were four years ago? No, you're not. 
unless you run a corporation or you have a lot of money in, in, in Wall Street. If, if you've got a lot of money in Wall Street, you are better off. There's just no question about that. Well, it sounds like that was a really great trip, man. Yeah, and um, we're going to have more of one of the great things about this. Yeah, Iowa's uh, up next month. So we'll see. Hey, man. <laughs> and we're going to have more of these exclusives of these exclusives coming in the next months. And so now let's turn to our guardian of the week, someone who's looked beyond their short-term political interest to uphold the values of the republic. Now, Patrick, did you see anyone this week that fits that description? I'm not sure, looking about, that I thought that anyone does. Uh, although, having listened to your friend's letter, I might nominate him uh, yeah. <laughs> this week, right? But we've had a few Republican members of Congress come out and denounce Trump's tweets this weekend as racist. But I don't think that des that's deserving of being a guardian of the Republic because that's a bare minimum of, of just human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. um, so instead, I have a couple of nominees for, I don't know what we want to call them, betrayers of the Republic. I think uh, we, we've spent like two <laughs> I don't weeks know what's the opposite out. of a guardian of the Republic, but somebody who's yeah. undermined it. So th the first one, is Senator Lindsey Graham, who just doubled down on this Trump stuff this weekend. And so instead of just sticking with the, the racist uh, uh, tropes that Trump was using, he decided to start calling them communists, too. So we'll bring in the mm -hmm. Red Scare as well yeah. uh, as that. And I thought, like, it was funny that one voter that I talked to uh, who uh, was uh, cons cons considering some of the conservative Democrats in the field, and I asked him, well, who did you support in 2016? And he stopped and he hesitated. And then he said, Lindsey Graham. But he's gone off the deep end. Yeah. And I think... Actually, I, I found that fascinating. I know that people were really upset by uh, Lindsey Graham. But he, he did sort of signal to the president in that interview that he should aim higher, right? And and, and yeah, aim higher. And Trump then, what did that. Trump say? Aim higher. What, yeah, what, what senators, senators instead of members what, what of the House. Yeah. Secretary of State. I, all right, fine. I'll call. Tell aim them. To aim higher. What? So 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 take your racist rhetoric and aim it at, at somebody more. No. Uh, what do you know? I'm, to give to listen. I'm I'm as I'm as argumentative with Lindsey Graham as I think anyone should be. Um, but he fed he fed the fire. This is the problem. He fed the Lindsey fire. Graham he fed, fed the, the fire. fire. Wait a minute though. But what he what did he do? He fed the fire. He went back to he went back to the, the, a different conversation, going back to calling them socialists and communists, which if you compare that to what President Trump was doing is far better. Because you can look at the at the at oh yeah the, you can the say that they are con and yeah, you can yeah. say that and, and you can yeah. say that they're they have they are socialist or they have socialist tendencies yeah. or that they're that they're but there's plans a, there, for the there are times are and socialist. places when you when you when you do that fair enough I, I'm in a arguing with you when he does that I'm going to give you I'm going to give you I'm going to say I'm not so sure on the betrayer of the republic well I got another one I've got another Lindsey one Graham this week I've got another one so in the interest of fair time is this is uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's uh, chief of staff. Uh, Shoykat Ch uh, Chakrabarti. And, uh, you know, he put out that tweet uh, about Sharice uh, Davids, who's a congresswoman from Kansas, and that mm -hmm. her votes enable a racist system. That's tough, man. And then he said, well, you don't have to be a racist to, because uh, his tweet was called racist. And then he was trying to say, you don't have to be a racist uh, to enable a racist system. So I wasn't calling her racist. But th this is the same thing. This is the same out that the Trump defenders were trying to use about his tweets. Well, mm -hmm. he didn't actually call these folks racist, or he didn't use the word race. And There's so I got to call difference. this guy out too, because guess what? He's been spending his time, fan this is uh, Chakrabarti, he's been f spending his time fanning the flames as well. 
when mm-hmm. we need to put those flames down. So he's just fed into this uh, as well. So I'm putting to both be clear, Graham and Chakrabarty as my betrayers of the betrayers of the Republic of the Week. That's fine. And to be clear, even though I'm 50-50 with you on this Lindsey Graham being betrayer of the Republic of the Week, I'm going to go with betrayer of the Republic, though. Uh, with Lindsey Graham on his overall use of his power and relevance, mm-hmm. um, which we've spoken about in, on the podcast before. I'm just giving I'm, I'm giving a, a, a little bit of space because to me, his interview was not as bad um, as I think nearly as bad as what President Trump did over the weekend. And unfortunately, we could, I believe, do a betrayer of the Republic on President Trump weekly. So we're, we're not going to do that. Right. All right. So, all right. All right. So let's let's move on to our hot take segment. Um, and this is the segment where we have ninety seconds to discuss a bunch of different topics. And uh, when you hear this sound, it's time to wrap it up. Uh, for this week's hot takes, uh, we're going to stick with uh, New Hampshire, right? So we'll talk about mm-hmm. the actual. I, I've been talking about the voters, which is the main reason why I was there. Uh, but let's talk about a little bit about the candidates I saw in action this past weekend, and I shared some of my thoughts with you before. But uh, let's talk about uh, first up, uh, Kamala Harris. Well, what did you see? Well, so I saw her at a house party, which was a huge house party. Uh, I think close to 400 people there. And then she was at another event in a school, which I think was close to 600 people. Uh, she got all, It was really interesting, her crowd, a lot of kids in her crowd, a lot of people with kids in her crowd, more so than in any of the other events, uh, candidate events that I went to. And uh, I think one of the things, though, about her is that, you know, she's portraying herself as tough. This was how she mm-hmm. scored those points against Biden in that debate, Certainly. right? Prosecutorial, right, right. baby. But when she delivers a line, she kind of laughs it off. Like, so, Well, this know, is what yeah. I've been talking about. This is what I was talking about when I saw her on the CNN town hall debate. What she tends to do is really kill her message along the way. And it, what it does is it, it hurts people who are watching, they don't know what they're not feeling comfortable with, but there's, right, a, there's a certain dissonance in their minds. Right. So she they, says, they don't, to give an example, so she yep. said, we need to prosecute the case against Donald Trump, and we need a prosecutor to do that. Ah, ha, 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 ha. You know, she starts laughing because the, the crowd gets excited about her, so she laughs with mm-hmm. the crowd who starts cheering, and then she yep. just undermines the fact that she was just a tough prosecutor. Yeah, what she needs to do, it's, it's, it's an acting exercise, and it's part of one of the things, if I were ever to get 15 minutes with Kamala Harris, I would be able to, to show her, is you need to be thinking forward. You need to understand where the audience is going to be coming and what they're, how they're going to respond so that you can then build upon that and not get caught off guard. It's, something, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weakness in her game right now that is going to need to improve as we get further along into this democratic process. Okay, so the next one is, and this is another one of my pet peeves, is you saw Better or Work this week, and you saw him and his hands. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing when you see it on TV and sometimes you, you, the TV cuts off part of his body so you don't see mm-hmm. it as much. But when you see him up person, his hands are flying at, not, yeah. at 100 miles an hour. The entire and we time we talked about this talking, before. When you're on stage as a professional actor, I've spent 15 years of my career mostly on stage. What you learn about is stillness. And you learn that that if your body is moving or your hands are moving, your audience is not listening to the words that you're saying. And there's a certain amount, again, like with Kamala, Kamala Harris, there's a certain amount of comfort that's needed when you're standing and speaking in front of large groups of people. It's sort of what we use on stage, we call it leaking. You're leaking energy when you're using your hands. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really need to learn how to relax yourself 
and be calm. And without that sense of calm, it's one of the things that Barack Obama was such a master at. Also, I believe that Mayor Pete Buttigieg is a master at. You're hearing what comes out of their mouths. The ideas are more important than the energy. And Beto, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, that one of the things that I saw, Donald Trump even (laughs) mentioned it in one of his tweets, that when Beto works with his hands as much as he does, his message does not come through, and it's a real challenge for him. Although one thing I want to say about Beto is that uh, his staff is really nice. Uh, And I think you can judge a candidate by their staff uh, in, in many ways. And so uh, that's one thing, although they were a little desperate. Uh, and I think it's p- partially because it's there, there, there was that sense that Beto's trajectory is going in the wrong direction. Most clearly it is. Right. But, but it, another candidate that... who I was looking at with, uh, with who has a, who's a really friendly staff was, was Cory Booker. He was up there this mm-hmm. weekend too. And uh, I think he was uh, the first candidate to actually go out and knock on doors. Uh, but I also saw him in a, in a house party and also in an event inside, he got about 200, 200 250 people somewhere. That's a lot of people. For yeah, him. It, was a, it was a pretty good crowd. It was bigger than Beto's crowds, which were about 50 to 100 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing with Corey, with Corey Booker, though, is that he's always high energy. Yep. You know, his voice is always pitched as like he's doing. I, I felt like I was, was at uh, a pep rally. Well, that's his issue. Yeah. I mean, we again, the, we, what you're seeing in action live is the same thing that I see when I'm watching him on television in front of large groups in, in the uh, when he gave a speech in, I believe it was 2012, to the Democratic National Committee and it, at the convention. He does not understand yet how to use his voice to its best ability. And the, the idea that the louder that you get in front of large groups of people is going to actually gain attention. It's not. One of the things that General George Washington did to great effect, it was one of the most fascinating things about him, was he would speak very quietly. He would speak very softly. And what what would then happen is all of his officers would move in and listen that much more carefully. When you're freely screaming in front of large groups of people, it gives that large group of people the opportunity to whisper to their friends and talk about something else and something that he has to get better at and something that I believe he will eventually get better at. It's a a weakness in his game. But I'll say this. He was the only candidate I saw that got his crowd teary-eyed. He can tell a good story. What was he talking about? He was talking about the, the, the lawyer that helped his family get into their home. When there was redlining, that they wouldn't sell yeah. a home to, and, and and the way he told the story, because this is how he ends his stump speech before he takes mm-hmm. questions, uh, you could see it in there, and 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 it was a true standing ovation. It wasn't just it's, standing ovation. It was people emotionally got, and he can make that emotional connection if he does it he right. He has empathy. He he has empathy, and but, he has an ability to connect. But when I was. Uh, leaving there and talking to voters he didn't really win anybody over and as i said it's like a pep no. rally he was he was <laughs> yeah. the head cheerleader at the pep rally for but, the, but the folks are looking for the quarterback right Got it. and, and so <laughs> that's that's where he needs to make that transition all right there, there go the drums we can't go too yeah. far over the drums patrick people get mad yeah. mayor pete now let's talk about him he had the biggest crowds you say business tours in the rally what did you see yeah i nine over yeah it was about 800 people at Whoa. a at friday morning 9.30, outside. Was there free breakfast? Were there no. Bre- was there breakfast? No breakfast? 800 people came to wow. see Mayor Pete talk. Mm-hmm. All right? This guy is raising money, getting crowds that are outsized of his standing in the polls. Right and now. What, what was what was what was the energy in in this in this group? I mean, of the eight hundred people. Well, were they well with we, him? we heard before that that 
that uh, man who was uh, supporting, uh, was thinking of supporting Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren, Warren but was also looking at, at Mayor Pete. And I think it was that you can project who you want onto him. And I was talking to another couple there. And uh, actually, I was talking, he went on this business tour around Rochester I talked about, right? And there was mm-hmm. a couple there who just wanted to come out and meet him and see him uh, who lived in the town. And they started talking about him in such a way. And I said, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like the way you're talking about him is the way my father would talk about John F. Kennedy. That there Why? is a spark there that you feel There is a him. spark there. But also there's a communication skill yes. there. And no, there's no question that, that he's... Look, that's, that's what it comes down to in, in so many ways. If, if you took Mayor Pete's communication skills and you put those and his mind into Joe Biden, the race is over. Yep. Um, it's just that he's a 37-year-old uh, mayor of a 100,000 small town and who happens to also be a gay man. But that's a, that's another talk for another time. Let's talk about Seth Moulton, who sounded good mm-hmm. until what? Well, talk happened? about free. He had 50 people there, and I think he needed the free that's ice cream Sundays him. in order to... to did, he, did he have the Sundays? <laughs> yes, yes. Did he eat yeah, them? I don't have... know whether he ate them. doesn't um, matter if he ate them, as long as he was providing yeah, it. No, that's he was, how you yeah, get people. He was providing that. Um, maybe, uh, the, you know, I, he wanted to have a fun atmosphere like he did in Harvard with his jock friends instead of hanging yeah. out with the nerds, right? Um, but he sounded good in terms of, you know, how do we have to take this fight? Well, we have to take this fight, It's, but it can't be about Donald Trump. And then he started contradicting himself later about saying, okay, this is how it's got to be about Donald Trump. Uh, there, there are voters who, who like him because they're conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- I think there's a reason why he's not, you know, he's not catching he's also on. Very, he's also very young. I mean, he yeah, in, in some ways he seems younger than Buttigieg, and he's not. He's older than Buttigieg, um, but he, he he's an interesting guy. I mean, he he was very influential in the 2018 House, in in, in them winning the House. I mean, right. he he put right. Well, that so was one, one of the things candidates. that he said was you know Amy McGrath. He started naming off all these candidates who said I was one of the only two or three Democrats that they would have come out to these red areas of the country mm-hmm. and campaign sure. for them yeah. um, because he has that, uh, ha- has that standing, but I'm still, I, I still standing. wasn't sure what his, uh, it's interesting too. I don't think that he's going to be able to find any traction in this race. I just don't know that there's room for him there, but there's something interesting about Seth Moulton. But a, but a, Life is long, but a good, his... good, good selection of ice cream. Okay, <laughs> good. All right. Now our last quick take is Biden. Um, Uncle Joe talking about Trump. What do you got? Yeah, well, this is the thing that I think at the end of the day, is we, we heard that quote from Biden earlier about, you know, mm-hmm. I would call them all racist, whatever. He talks like uh, you would think a strategist would want a candidate to talk to win the general election. Mm-hmm. He's not talking that's the, the way about... That's the right way to go. Right, he's not talking about the way you want talked about win these different wings of, of, the, of, the, of the Democratic Party. He mm-hmm. starts off by giving a whole spiel about, you know, Donald Trump is really, is really bad for this country not just in policy, but in the way he behaves, and it undermines who we are as Americans and, and doesn't make us proud. And so he yes. starts at that. And then he transitions into, well, first, his transition statement is always this. He says, but in, in, at the end of the day, I will break my neck to, for whatever, whoever the, the Democratic nominee <laughs> is. He says, I hope you vote for me, but I'll, I will break my neck to elect the Democratic nominee. And let me tell you about growing up in Scranton. 
I know what sure. the middle class. <laughs> I know what the working class. Listen, let me say. Let me get. Right? Let me get this in before the drums go. That that if if Joe Biden is going to find success in the Democratic um, in the Democratic nomination process, it is not going to be talking Democrat Democratic issues because he's going to run into trouble left left center and right. However, if he makes this simply about President Trump saying it's me versus him, and if you put me to be the standard bearer of this party, I will take him down. If he can just stay on that message, I think that he might have enough to to hold on right. and, and hold the nominee. I'm not sure that he, he would have enough to hold on. I'm not sure that he could make this work, but I would say that it's his only path to making this yeah, work. And it's the it, only just, way Just one final thing be. to go over is that was the one, the Biden events were the one event where almost to a person, everyone who I asked who, why, are you, why do you like this candidate, said electability as the first thing. That's it. That's his that's his sales pitch, so he should stay on that pitch. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes, and please give us a rating in your favorite podcast app so it'll help others to find us. Uh, check us out at our website, uh, guardians-republic.com, or on Twitter at guardiansotr. And thank you for joining us. We're going to be back with a new episode next week. See ya. See ya.